Hey listeners, welcome back to another incredible episode of Being at Work. Wow, I am blown away by my conversation with today's guest. It is so insightful and energizing and timely and perfect for this show because this is a show that's all about our humanness at work. Our guest is on a mission to further a realistic discussion about mental health at work. She says it's not just about mental health awareness anymore. It's about equipping people at all levels in the organization to have constructive and, yep, hard conversations, especially leaders. Melissa Doman is the author of the book, Yes, You Can Talk About Mental Health at Work, subtitled, Here's Why and How to Do It Really Well. And that's what she's going to break down for us today. But what you really need to know about Melissa is how she got here. She left her clinical psychology practice thinking, the system isn't changing. I have to go make an impact at the source. And that pivotal moment led her to the work she's doing today, focused on mental health in the workplace and the impact on workplace culture. Listen in as we talk about empowering leaders with the right nomenclature. She says it's all about language. We also talk about calling it what it is. Check it out. I had my own not so fun mental health at work experiences where back in the day, not to age myself, but we didn't talk about this in the workplace. We just didn't. And that never felt completely right to me. This is entirely before I went into clinical psychology. And I had serious fear about ever talking about transient, typical, healthy reactions to life. And so fast forward, and I got my master's in counseling psych, and I got licensed, and I had literally 10 letters after my name. That's not an exaggeration. And I went into clinical practice helping a variety of folks. And it's work that I'm really happy that I did. And I did notice though, that no matter the population I worked with, it felt like I was treating people in a broken system and a broken narrative. And I'll never forget sitting there in my office, looking out the window and saying to myself, am I actually changing anything? It kind of feels like I'm not. And something that every single one of my patients had in common, because I only worked with adults, was that none of them felt like they could talk about mental health in the workplace, let alone having a mental illness. And I thought to myself, I have to try and change the system because this is just not working. So I transitioned into traditional org psych, which I still love doing that work and I do a fair bit of around what I like to call helping each other play nicely at work and learn to share your toys and all those sorts of things because the workplace is just a giant playground. We're all just older. And emotional intelligence, team dynamics, intentional communication, power dynamics, all those things. But what I noticed after transitioning into org psych and doing a lot of that traditional org psych work, not only in-house for organizations, but also outside and in a consultative manner, you couldn't say the words mental health. And that really burned my ass. I was like, why? It's literally just talking about the health state of an organ. Why can't we talk about this? It just really drove me nuts. And so then uh, fast forward to a contract I was doing, I said, oh, you're, you're trained in clinical psych. Will you do a mental health awareness campaign for us? And I was like, oh my God, yes, I'm so excited. 
And it just (laughs) took off from there and has been a nonstop rocket ship since. And what I noticed is that not only did people want to have the conversation, they wanted to know how to not screw it up. And I was like, all right, I have this clinical experience. I have this org psych field experience. Let me see what I can do. And it has been nonstop, like a bullet train since then. And when was that, that you did that first campaign that took off? 2018. And it was actually in England. Yeah. So England led the charge in talking about mental health at work. And a lot of folks are like, what? The stiff upper lip folks? And the reason my theory that they started it is because the UK and also the EU, of which they're no longer a part of, has a lot more individual worker protections as opposed to business protections, whereas the US is the inverse. So there's a lot more of that feeling of safety about what you can bring up in the workplace despite that culture. And also on top of that, the UK is far more collectivistic in terms of trying to look out for the community as opposed to only the self. And Americans are not as much like that. So the UK led the charge in talking about mental health in the workplace, socially not as much, but that's where it, where it got started. And what I found in the way that I talk about it is there has to be a discussion about the obstacles, what could go wrong, and all of the difficult thorny parts, because if you're not talking about the entirety of it, you're just setting people up for failure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and that's where your book comes from, right? It's the how to do that, like the practical. In in a society that is very employer centric. Yes. And I also think about the timing of this for you. So here you are in 2018 doing this great work, two years before the pandemic. And now we all know what's happened over the world in the world over the last couple of years. And so how has that impacted the conversation of mental health at work? Dramatically. So before the pandemic, or as I like to call it before time, it was slowly gaining steam. It was seen more as a nice to have with like a little bit of necessity. And then the minute the pandemic kicked off, people went, we need to talk about this right now, right now. And it is so urgent, help. And so the minute the pandemic kicked off, I went virtual overnight. I changed how I was talking about it overnight. And I said, all right, gloves off. We need to get real. And so that's the kind of messaging and branding I've built around my work is we're going to talk about all parts of this in the context and the reality in which it currently exists, not like it is in a storybook. And so that's what I started doing. And I started bringing in parts of my undergrad degree around sociology, because we don't exist in a vacuum. We need to think about the different systems in which we exist and how they impact us. And that hit right on it because people were carrying these things. Yeah. And I said, this is not just about talking about mind and body and spirit and all these things. We need to also talk about the load that we are carrying on our shoulders on any given day and normalizing, talking about that, even the parts that make us uncomfortable because we will survive discomfort. Oh, so good. Talk about the load we are carrying. Yes. And I think culture matters so much. I mean, I'm just thinking about, as you're describing this, the variety of organizations that we're working with right now, and all of their jumping off points are a little different. You know, there are cultures that are naturally talking about mental health because of the tone that has been set, 
There are others like, no way, Jose, are we going to go there? So how are you addressing it in this environment with all this variety and differences? So the way I tend to look at it is through the lens that each organization has a different motivation, willingness, and readiness to approach this conversation. Some of them are doing it for authentic good reasons, and some of them are doing it for market-dictated checkbox reasons. And it's pretty easy to tell pretty quickly. So the organizations that work with me, I never pressure anybody. I say, you want to try a one-off? Let's do that. You want to try a series? Let's do that. But you have to know this is not a one-session topic. And if you treat it that way, your workforce will not appreciate that. So I would really think, why are you doing this? And how much time investment are you willing to put? And what is this, Melissa? Like, what are you doing with organizations? To be really honest, talking about mental health at work is not a wellness initiative. It was nested under that because it was safe and it was, you know, where else do we put it? But what I'm doing is making organizations understand at all levels that talking about mental health at work is critical skill development and developing conversational literacy as part of professional development in the world of work. And that's how it should be treated. Because if you're like, oh, here's this wellness event. Well, what does wellness even mean anymore? It's like this amorphous blob that we don't know what it is because everybody and their mother does something in wellness. And so I said, this isn't what people need. And that's how it was positioned in the past. And people saw it as not important or they rolled their eyes in the back of their head, another wellness thing. I said, that's not what this is. This is a language we all need to know how to speak because we cannot survive if we don't. So that's how I started doing it, especially in the past year, where I said, you need to put this in employee development tracks, in leadership development tracks, and help them understand the urgency and the necessity for not only talking about the topic in a good way, but understanding what we're actually talking about. It shouldn't be treated as anything else. Right. So it's skill development and you're working with leaders, you're working with leaders to develop this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's all levels of the organization because leaders in particular, they get most of that onus where HR looks to them, their teams look to them to be the Oracle, to be fluent in these conversations when they may not even know themselves. So that's why I take this approach that everybody, no matter where they sit, In an organization, although leaders need some extra care because they get it from both ends, everybody, every chronologically aged adult needs to know how to have this conversation. I don't care what your job title is. So good. Well, we're all contributing to culture based on how we show up. And I imagine too, I mean, just an organization saying to its workforce, hey, we're going to do some critical skill development around mental health in the workplace. I mean, doesn't that just... Wow. I mean, that just opens a door for a conversation. Words you don't hear together usually. That we've never had before. Yes, exactly. So how do people show up? Because like you started with early in your career, you didn't talk about mental health at work. It just, no, no you, you sucked it up. You grinned and bear it. You powered through. And so like people have a lot of catching up to do. How do people show up to these skill development sessions? I actually appreciate those differences. And I literally just wrote an article about this in my LinkedIn newsletter about the fact that can we stop punishing people for not knowing what they don't know 
or being born in a part of the timeline where they didn't have the permission to even talk about it. And for God's sake, stop generational name calling. If I hear another person say, okay, boomer or sensitive snowflake, I will flip a table. It is so unhelpful. When is name calling ever helpful, especially when you have a misunderstanding and a gap to close? So before I even dive in to what are we talking about, here's how to do it, I take a good old assessment of who's coming to the table, what are they bringing to the table, what are their concerns, what's the belief system, what do we need to shift, what do we need to bridge? Because if you just go straight into, here's how you do this, and you're asking people to perform a skill without looking behind the curtain to see what they're coming to the table with, I wish you the best of luck. <laughs> yeah, because you, you're meeting them where they are and where they are will vary within the group. Yes, and it's okay if they feel a little nervous or it's doing things totally differently, but they need to understand the value in doing it differently. And also yeah. there's a really good opportunity for reverse mentoring Let's say that, and I, I don't like to stereotype based on generation, that, that makes me nauseous. But let's say you have some younger folks who grew up totally differently as they came into the world of work. And you have someone who's 60 years old, who they're just looking like deer in headlights. There's an opportunity there for some of the younger generations to say, take my hand and I'll show you where we've come, you know, where we're going. Well, and there are generational differences with the level of comfort in talking about mental health. Oh, yes, most definitely. Yeah. And how do you address that? By calling it what it is and explaining to people that it's not their responsibility or their fault of when they were born. And we are a collection of moments and experiences and conditioning that bring us to who we are today and really just drives me nuts when I encounter people, regardless of age, you're like, well, this is who I am. I'm a baked cake. I'm, go- I'm calling bullshit. That is just <laughs> you not being willing. And so when you have these differences, a lot of people tend to look at it like a horse w- with blinders on. They're not opening the blinders and saying, oh, this person born 35 years before me hmm. might have had a different experience. Maybe I shouldn't criticize them for that because there's a difference between not knowing versus not being willing to learn. And people are conflating the two, which is not okay. So that's why I'm trying to to really open that up. And let me tell you, some of the most appreciative people in my live events are far older than me. Sure. Far older. That's not bad. People are beautiful and wonderful at every age. But there are people who've been in my sessions in their 70s and 80s. And I go, oh my God, I'm so happy. They're just even curious to try things differently. There's a growth orientation there that's so refreshing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I mean, mental health is so applicable to every single human being. So there also has to be some level I would expect of like, oh, finally, like, yes, like a relatability. Well, to be really honest, I take it down to like the biological medical definitions that mental health is basically the health state of an organ. Mm. It's just an organ, but because of what that organ does, people get a little twitchy talking about it at work. And so it's basically your baseline social, emotional, and cognitive functioning. That's all it is. And it has a health stress and illness state, none of which is is really clinical until you start getting into mental illness, which is clinical. And so I remind people... Because some people, they go, I have mental health. And I go, are you trying to say you have a mental illness? You don't need to whisper it. (laughs) And every person on the planet, even animals have mental health. 
Can yes. we stop treating it like it's a dirty word? Because we have a brain. Yeah, I just, I brain. love how you God. just normalized that. Yes, yes, it's just an organ. Jesus, like it's just, doesn't that, don't make it weird. You know, act like you've been here before. Seriously. It normalizes it. Well, and that's what you're doing with this conversation, right? You're normalizing it. Okay, so big question. You should know I have hundreds of questions, but Give I'm going to try to prioritize and focus. <laughs> this is so good. So I appreciate leaders who are challenged with the conversation because we live in a very litigious world. And I don't want to open a can of worms. I don't want to create an opportunity for all this personal stuff unnecessarily to come in. So how do you address that? Like talking, having this conversation in a way that's fair and consistent and compliant. So there is a difference between talking about general mental health versus asking people about protected characteristics. Those are two entirely different things. Asking someone how they're doing, how they're feeling is not the same as, you seem really anxious. Do you have generalized anxiety disorder? Those are two different things. And we're not trying to create therapists and psychiatrists at work or a big kumbaya circle. That is ridiculous, unethical, and I'm sure very illegal in lots of different ways. What we are trying to do is help people understand that we're not encouraging people to share for the the sake of sharing. We're encouraging people to share with purpose. So what I mean by that is not having fear of being stigmatized or alienated for just not lying about how you're feeling about something really huge going on in your life to let people know at work if they need to help shift projects or if you're communicating a certain way or just what you need at a very basic level. And most importantly, what you want them to do with that information and what you're prepared to do with that information. That's what I think is missing with a lot of mental health awareness campaigns. Like, oh, let's just talk about mental health and the human case and all these things. And I go, that shit didn't work. People need to know that what they're sharing that it's leading towards something, even if it's just like a venting session, right. there is a responsibility on the part of the sharer, not just the listener, of sharing with intention, sharing with purpose. And if you're going to talk about something, if it's you know anything beyond a venting session, what are you prepared to do about it? Because if you're going to talk about it in the context of work, in some way, shape, or form, it needs to be somewhat relevant in the context of work. So I try to make, give it some legs and some structure around it instead of, we need to talk about this. I'm like, well, that's great. What do you want people to do with it? So I just try and make it a lot more like concrete and structured. And also to help people understand that if you're someone's boss, you can also be an empathetic human being and, and be there for them. You ain't their therapist. You're not their mama. You're not their daddy. You're not an HR. You're not their doctor. So it's about helping someone within the context of work and also understanding there is a balance between an ironclad wall and an open playing field. And also there's some people who, when they open up, they spell their entire mental health history and they love being opinion collectors and treating people like complaint receptacles. Also not okay. And there are some folks who will not take responsibility for managing their own mental health because they want others to do it for them. I wrote a whole section on that in the book, and I know that it's a little controversial, but can't we just be honest that those people exist? And so it's really about doing a lot of that back-end work of what do I want to share? How do I want to support others? 
what are my feelings about this process? What do I want to accomplish? What are the boundaries I need to set for myself or towards other people? Make it concrete because it's a very amorphous concept. And if something feels abstract, how the hell are you going to deal with it? And so I, I write about all aspects of that in the book because I was like, awareness is not enough. We need to make this more concrete if anybody has a shred of hope in doing things differently. Mm-hmm. And every example that you're providing is about like the bringing it down from awareness to having a conversation, even like struggling through it. I so appreciate how you are making it safe for people to be wherever they are on this journey. And so recognizing that it is going to be hard and that that's part of the process. That's how we get better with these conversations. And there's even like, let's say, for example, and again, I go back to leaders because they get it from both ends. They get it from C-suite and HR and their teams. Like you're the leader. You're supposed to be the Oracle. You're supposed to be, supposed to be, supposed to be. That's a lot of pressure. And so, yes, it's true that leaders need to have this skill set as part of being a leader in the world of work in 2022 and beyond, but give them a damn break. People are at different points of the spectrum in terms of their willingness, ability, readiness to have this conversation. But because we are integrating what used to be seen as a personal-only conversation into a quote-unquote professional context... There has to be some boundaries around it Mm -hmm. because what I don't like is there are some folks who are trying to create these boundaryless conversations, which is also not right because then you're putting some people in a professional context in uncomfortable or sticky situations. And I spoke to this one person who is considered to be an industry colleague. And they said, yeah, you know, we just had our team meeting and and sat around and all had a good cry this morning and just for like 45 minutes. And I was like, what? There's a difference between experiencing emotions, checking what's going on with people. But what that person did was create group therapy at work. Not okay. Not what we're aiming for. Yeah. And so when you have these abstract boundaryless voices that are in this industry, I'm like, you're just muddying the waters even more because you're not giving a practical business application, which is the context in which we're having the conversation. How is that helpful? You got it. You got it. Yeah, I love that. So yeah, when the pendulum swings the other way. Too far. Yeah, too far. Yeah, so leaders like paying attention to what their people need, how their people are doing. And I love your question of like, how are you doing? I mean, it's such a simple... How are you actually doing? Yeah. And yeah, how are you really, right? Oh, yeah. How are you really probing into that, but creating an environment where people feel comfortable an- answering that question? I mean, you may have to really probe into it for a time before you start getting some real answers. Well, and also, I think there's a really a missed opportunity over and over again for leaders to humanize themselves to their teams, because historically speaking... You know, leaders are encouraged to be stoic, to be neutral, calm seas, all that ridiculous nonsense. And I don't understand how that's sustainable or helpful. And there are even moments where, why can't a leader say to someone, I want to be helpful? I don't know the best thing to say. And I'd love for you to let me know how I can be most useful because I want to be able to support you. Mm. You don't need to know exactly what to say. But saying to someone, I don't know what to say, but I want to know what's helpful. Why can't you do that? 
because it pokes a hole in your armor. And so I've been talking to tons of leaders to de-oracle themselves and to humanize themselves and, God forbid, allow their team members to also support them. Who said they can't? Yes, to be, you, well, you were talking earlier about that pressure on leaders. Oh, yeah. I mean, yes, like being vulnerable about, hey, I'm struggling. I don't have the right words. And it's not a but, it's an and. I care about you and want to be a great leader. Acknowledging what is. Over and over, I hear that as a key message of being, having the courage to just say like, this, I'm struggling right now. And you know what's funny is when I think about the word vulnerability, and Brene Brown is the one who really put that on the map. And I, I would just like die a happy death someday if I could go also on her podcast and be like, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. <laughs> she's just like amazing. You are also amazing. And Brene is just like, you know, she's incredible. Yeah. Well, she, her work has laid it the did. foundation for this. I mean, right. We're it's preparation. And what I've noticed though, unfortunately, and I'm sure you've seen this too, is the word vulnerability doesn't work for everybody. And it gets used so much that I even go even more inception. And I go, what do you want to call it? Do you want to call it transparent? Do you want to call it just being honest? If vulnerability doesn't work for you, pick the word that works. Letting your guard down. Yeah, whatever you want to call it. Because some people hear that word, they go, Ugh. I'm like, what do you want to call it? Do you want to call it not lying? Yeah, being real. <laughs> so it's even digging into the language. You got it. Meeting people where they are, normalizing it, making people feel safe, whatever they're feeling. And personalizing that process. And personalizing that process. And then, I mean, you've talked about this critical skill development. There are some very specific things and you've given us a lot of them, but I want to know the skill that is most important through this process. And I know it's not one size fits all, but what would you say, like, if we could get this right, we would really move the needle on mental health conversations at work. If I had to pick out of all of the guidance that I give, and there's a lot of it, to me, what matters most is language. That's what matters most. In my humble opinion, I don't think that people understand the true weight of words and how they can make people feel or react I'm not saying that you need to be freaking out about every single word that tumbles out of your mouth, but there is a difference between winging it, which I don't recommend in these conversations versus speaking with intention because it matters. And even just how you name these initiatives, how you describe them, how you articulate the why, those are several opportunities to shit the bed if you don't get it right. And I've lost count. The number of clients because my clients are businesses and they send me the communications for the event and I go, let me, let me just edit this for you because they're just unintentionally, I'm going to say that again, unintentionally encouraging the wrong message, bring your best self to work. And I go, mm -mm, mm -mm, nope, you're just encouraging toxic positivity and telling people that their actual experiences are not welcome here. Please don't do that. Yeah. I'm a lot nicer when I say it, but it's language. It's language, 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 not only in how you name the initiatives, but in the conversations that you have and also checking in on meaning of words because they can mean totally different things to totally different people. So at the base of it all, 
language depicts reality, it influences mindset and influences thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. So if there's anything that you should focus on getting right, it's the words in the conversation and in the messaging throughout a business. Mm, Thank you for that. That's good. Slowing down, being thoughtful about the words that you're using will go a long, long way. Oh yes. Create just like a second of space between what's rumbling around in the brain and what comes out of the mouth. And even if you don't get it right, saying, I'm not sure if I'm saying this right, but X, let me know if this is landing in in the way that I'm intending. You don't even have to get it right, but let people know you're trying to. Yes. And that spirit will show up and they'll feel that that's so real. And it doesn't have to be hard. Yeah. I think we make it so much harder than it needs to be. Yeah. I think that comes from a place of fear and uncertainty, but it's also that how would folks know to focus on that if no one has told them to before? For example, when I tell leaders that they can allow team members to support them and they go, I can. I go, yeah, <laughs> you're all chronologically aged adults. You just have different job titles. That, like, right. come on. And they go, oh, I never thought about it. I thought I always had to be the one to support them. I'm like, you are not their mama. Stop it. Get that monkey off your back. Mm-hmm. You can be supportive. You should be supportive. Be a decent human being. But if you're going through something, you don't need to hide it from them unless it's very personal and you don't want to share it, which is your right. So for example, like when the Supreme Court decision came down, And I was talking to a bunch of leaders and they go, I am so shaken to my core. I don't even know what to say to my team. And I go, say that, just say that. You don't need to know what to say. You can tell them that you're going through your own stuff and it's on your mind, but you just don't have the words. Why can't you do that? And they go, oh, I didn't even think of that. I'm struggling. I'm struggling. Those are the words I use a lot. (laughs) Thank you so much. This is such valuable work. And I want to make sure that everyone's clear on the title of the book. Yes, you can talk about mental health at work. Check that out and learn more. And Melissa, where can our listeners connect with you and find the great work you're doing? So the best place that you can contact me is my website, melissadoman.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn where I'm constantly posting different thought leadership pieces, articles, things like that. And I'm also on Instagram at the wandering Mel and on Twitter at Melissa Doman LLC. So if you're looking for some help and cracking heads in your business and to do mental health at work a different way, reach out and I'll see how I can help. Awesome. Thank you, my friend. I'm a big fan. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Big fan. Uh, thanks so much. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a being at work story. 